That's good. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, you may see the slide here. Uh, this is my story. This is going to actually be our Easter program that we're doing. And a lot of you will be happy we are not going to have an e- evening service for our Easter service. We're actually going to have a morning service. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. Say it again. Hallelujah. hallelujah. Right. And so uh, we're not going to actually be meeting here. We're going to be meeting over at the um, uh, court. What is it? The Marriott? Courtyard Marriott, excuse me, Boston. It's over off Memorial uh, Drive. Uh, we'll have details as we kind of bring those details together. So we're not going to be here April 5th for Easter Sunday. We're going to be over at the other place that usually we're throwing our conferences just so we can have that morning service together to let everybody get to their families and have their Easter dinners or whatever you guys do that you do. Uh, so anyways, if you would, turn with me today to 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, I'm going to get a lot of things screwed up today. First of all, I'm going to get Peter and Paul screwed up. Why? Because Paul wrote about 75% of the New Testament, and Peter, not so much. And so, bear with me, because I'm probably going to put Paul's name where it should be Peter. Um, I'm also going to get confused. Uh, chapter 2 with... Uh, I'm sorry, chapter, chapter... See, I'm already doing it. That's how just... But I was practicing. I mean, you know, as pastors, I mean, this may be very lame. I'll just let you in the backstory. We literally, pra- well, my wife doesn't, but I do. I practice my messages. I preach to myself. And if I don't feel it myself, I just say, it's not going to work for them. And so when I was practicing, I know, I know, as awkward as that is. Hey, listen, I'm letting you into the, back, the backdrop of Daryl Temple. Uh, as awkward as it is, I just kept on getting Peter mixed up with Paul and something mixed up with First and Second Peter. It was just a hot mess. So you're going to have to bear with me as we uh, track through this this evening. Amen? Someone say grace. grace. Come on, say grace. grace. I need it this evening. I almost said I need it this morning. See, you already can tell it's one of those days. First Peter chapter 2. Um, how many just absolutely loved our two days with Lou if you were here? Come on. Isn't that awesome? I mean, if we just get that guy living here, you know, just, you know, just say, Lou, speak whenever you want. Just, you know, go as you please, but just live here with us. It's just, it was awesome. It was an awesome time of impartation and also just inspiration. You know, <laughs> I left that, those two days just thoroughly inspired to lay hold of the things of God in our city. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, some of you are excited. First Peter chapter 2. I'm going to start in perspective of just kind of building the foundation of our discussion this evening, I'm going to start in verse 11. We are going to read the 10 preceding verses, preceding verse 11, but we're kind of going to build our sermon around verse 11. Are you with me? Are you with me? Come on. Are you happy? Tell your face. Come on. Yeah, Christian's joke's going wild, you know, there's as best as they get. Verse 11 of First Peter chapter 2 says this, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Let's read it again. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're probably thinking I'm going to make my message around the second part of this verse. But I'm actually going to make my message around the first. Okay? So there's two parts in my 
uh, opinion here of this one verse. And you have Peter saying, listen, I want to warn you guys to live as temporary uh, citizens, foreigners, strangers in this land, kind of, kind of building up yourself against worldly desires. That would be the second part, building yourself up against worldly desires. So today, if we could, I want to just use this as the springboard, the foundation of our talk this evening. Can I do that? All right. But in order to do that, we kind of have to go back into the chapter a little bit. Actually, we've got to start at the beginning. Now, understand that this is a letter that Peter is writing, and he is writing a group of foreigners. Yeah. But these group of foreigners essentially were scattered amongst Rome, and what started to happen, given because they were scattered and they were foreigners to this particular land, the customs and the culture started wearing off on them. Let's just say that again. Because they were foreigners, because they were scattered about in Rome, the customs and culture was kind of rubbing off on them. And a lot of the things that the apostles instilled in them, they had forgotten because of this journey. That will preach right there, friends. You know, Cambridge, Massachusetts. You know, uh, But essentially, that's the back story. And Paul is, I'm sorry, see, I just did it. You just heard that. I just said Paul. Okay. Uh, Peter is with an explicit warning. Now, that's, that's what the text says. It says, I warn you. This isn't just, just a play on words. This isn't just, okay, this, this sounds like a good word. Let's just write this. Okay, yeah. No, this is Peter being stern calling forth their attention, to give attention to his writing. And consequently, he kind of, the way he ends and concludes verse 11 and 12 is much like he starts in verse 1 of chapter 2, with kind of a stern warning. So let's go back to verse 1. It says, so what? Get rid of evil behavior. I, I didn't say that. Peter just wrote it. I'm just, I'm just saying it. But it says, get rid of all evil behavior. And then he goes on to say, be done with all deceit and hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. I just want to put, this has nothing to do with my message, but I want to just put this disclosure in here. Especially as it, I feel it relates to the charismatic church. You know, I've been labeled as a charismatic. You know, I, I guess that's just what we're deemed as, I really don't understand um, how we get the titles and the labels that we do in Christendom. But if you were to see me from the outside, preach or sing, they'd be like, that guy's charismatic. You know, you, know, you just raise your voice and you're deemed as a charismatic. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, so again, Peter starts off the chapter much like he ends. You have to understand that verse 11 and 12 is a concluding thought in Peter's mind in his writing. Because the next... Uh, verses 13 through 25, Peter starts talking about respecting people in authority. So these, uh, this verse 11 and 12 are his concluding thoughts to his quick little sermon, if you would, about considering themselves as foreigners, as temporary residents in this land. Do you understand what I'm saying? But let me put this disclosure in when it comes to, so get rid of evil behavior uh, in verse 1 and be done with all kind of uh, hypocrisy and jealousy. You know, 
I, I really feel, just being around the charismatic church for a long time, that people are just waiting for God to kind of uh, uh, flip some kind of switch in our life to one day be done with lying or be done with hypocrisy. You know, we just, well, when God wants to do it, he can. But right here, right here in this, this, this first, first uh, uh, writing of Peter's letter in chapter 2, Peter puts the responsibility on us, doesn't he? Come on, somebody. Peter said, he doesn't say, listen, God will aid you. He will get rid of all your evil behavior. I know evil behavior kind of second grade. Uh, you, know, I just, you know, I think there might be a bit better word Peter could have used, but he used it, and so we're, we're saying it. But, but no, Peter puts the responsibility on us, doesn't he? He doesn't say, hey, listen, one day if you walk with God long enough, he's just going to flip the switch and you'll be done with that evil behavior. You'll be done with your hypocrisy. You'll be done with your lying, your deceit and such. No, he says, listen, get rid of it. Why am I saying that? Because I think that in our relationship with God, we have a role to play. We have a bit of responsibility. You know, in any marriage relationship, it's not just one giving and the other just receiving. It's both giving. And it's both doing things to cultivate love in their marriage. And so it is like this where Peter's words are kind of putting that responsibility on us. You can feel it, especially as he's being stern. Again, he's beginning this chapter much like he ended this chapter, with warning them. And this is a warning. If you could hear the tone, if you would, in Peter's writing, it would be, listen, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Just have come to my life in 14 years, 15 years of walking with the Lord, just understanding that God is just not going to one day flip the switch for me to kind of do away with kind of hypocrisy or evil behavior, that it really comes from me just making those choices. Listen to me now. Making those choices just to get rid of it. You know, have you ever just gotten rid of it? You know, like, listen, we understand it if we want to diet. You know, if you want to diet, you're not going to just go to McDonald's every night and then pick up a quarter pounder with fries. No, what are you going to do? You're going to get rid of it. I mean, I'm one to talk, you know. But if I'm one, I want to slim down a little bit. I can't just keep on eating chocolate cake at 12 o'clock at night. Come on, somebody. I mean, we understand when it comes to certain customs, if we have to, like, you know, work out or do something to kind of change. Let's say if we come down with some kind of illness or disease, we can't do the things uh, the same way that we used to do. We've got to get rid of some things. Come on. You hearing me? You can laugh. It's good. It's church. It's supposed to be happy people. I just put that disclosure in there. It has nothing to do with my sermon, but I hope it uh, edifies you into thinking differently when it comes to some of your struggle. And may I just say your sin. You know, is it still all right to warn people in the church today? I don't, you, you say that. You say that. Oh, yeah, come on. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Warn me, brother. But when it comes down to it, there is such... A backlash. That's why most pastors just kind of clam away. They're just like, oh my God, I'm not going to... And they stay away from certain topics. And they'll hit... You know, sometimes I like all the Facebook posts. It's just like tearing down pastors because they don't, uh, they don't go there. They don't really present the truth according to their adversaries or their critics. But yet, they stay away from the truth because there's been such a backslash when they, when they present it. Is it okay to warn people in the church today? Is it okay? Hilltop. Will we remain as a people that when our pastors or our leaders or people who come in like Lou can warn us that we'll actually take heed and listen? Or will we get offended and be like, no, no. 
too charismatic. I don't even know what that means, charismatic. Anyways, done with my disclosure. Let's go to verse 2. And so the, 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 the letter kind of segues into this little something else, and I love how Peter kind of incorporates this in there. Because you understand these guys were kind of evangelized by Peter, Paul. They were brought to Jesus, if you would, salvation through these guys. And because of what they were going through as their present circumstances as foreigners being in Rome, that culture starting to rub off them. What does Peter do? He brings them back to the gospel. He brings them back to the centrality of Christ and who he is. I love it. So let's read. Verse 2, Peter reduces us what? To newborn babes. Let's read it. Like newborn babes, you must what? Crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. You know, that's the problem in church. So we have a lot of Christians, but we have a lot of young Christians who are able to just not eat the meat of the word, not fully develop into, like Peter's saying, the full experience of our salvation. We have a little infants. Even though Peter is reducing us to infants, that's not necessarily what it's all about in the tone of Peter's writing. You know, I thought about this quick when I read that verse 2. I was like, okay, newborn babes, why would you, why would you say that in light of verse 1? And I started, to think, I started to think of Abram, you know, being a father. I'm like, okay, yeah, newborn babies. I get it. I get it. When Abram was just a little tyke, everything he needed was provided by him in Bethany. I'm sorry, was provided by me in Bethany. <laughs> My God, somebody pray for me. But everything he needed as a newborn was only going to be given if Bethany or I did something to provide for him what he needed. Are you listening? And you start to kind of connect this to our walk with the Lord. Essentially, I believe what Peter is saying, listen, you must be reduced again to newborn babies so that you can be utterly dependent upon Jesus and God the Father. Are you hearing me? We have a bunch of Christians, me included, if I'm not watchful and sober, that we are willing to go in life and try to be our own God, try to provide for us what we need. And essentially, throughout all the New Testament, Peter, Paul, John, Jesus, whoever you want to mention, always reduces us in light of the gospel to thinking ourselves as newborn babes. Why? So we can be dependent not upon ourselves, but upon Christ. Are you hearing me? And that is really the crux of why Peter puts this in here in verse 2. And so the second half of verse 2, he goes after uh, experiencing, uh, I'm sorry, into a full experience of salvation. The period comes in and then verse 2 goes on and he says, cry out what for this nourishment. In other words, pray. Pray. He wasn't saying just, you know, have a sob fit. He was saying, cry out to the Lord, make your needs known. Cry out to the Lord for that spiritual nourishment so that you can grow into the full experience of salvation. Listen, some of you aren't hearing me this evening. Tune in. Because we have a lot of Christians right in that valley in their lives. We're to cry out to God. We're to be uh, uh, thinking in our thoughts as newborn babies, utterly dependent on Christ. 
And essentially, the story here, I think what Peter's trying to say is, unless you're willing to get rid of evil behavior, bring yourself in your thoughts, in your soul, in your spirit, uh, to considering yourself as newborn babies, crying out to God for the spiritual nourishment that you need, you will lack experiencing the fullness of salvation promise. Many of us, if not all of us, are getting into heaven. That's not the question. That's not the question. The question is, are we growing? Are we maturing into the full stature of who and what God has called us to be somebody? Come on. This isn't a beat-up session. This is the word of God. So now, we get through this, and now Paul, in verse 4, is going to introduce the gospel. And then he's going to segue into telling us who we are in Christ. Come on, it's not just enough for him to drop a hammer and say, listen, get rid of evil behavior. It's not just enough for him to say, listen, you have to be done with hypocrisy. You have to be done with deceit. He goes into the gospel, one little paragraph in verse 4, and then he tells us who we are in Christ because of what Christ has done. Here's the gospel. You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. Here is a reminder. Listen, you are foreigners. The culture of Rome has rubbed off on you. But listen, you who are coming to Christ, you are living cornerstones in God's temple. He was rejected. The gospel. Come on. It's the gospel here. He was rejected by people. But he was chosen by God for great honor. Period. Gospel. Paragraph. He'll do it again. In later verses, now we are told who we are in Christ. And you are the living stones. Listen, I want to not make this a message. I want to remind us of something here today. Because much like these foreigners lived in Rome, and the culture was rubbing off on them, and their customs and their religion and their viewpoint of God was changing. So, listen, I think if there was one message that if Paul the Apostle was here teaching, it would be this teaching. He would remind you of who you are. Why? Because the, the culture of Cambridge is so pervasive. It's so strong. It's so alluring to just daff out and just get our little go-to-heaven free cards without ever experiencing the fullness of salvation. So you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Once more, you are his what? Holy priest. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scripture says, here comes the gospel again. I am placing a cornerstone, Christ, in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor. If anyone who trusts in him, Christ, will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in Jesus recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who rejected him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble. The rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Now, verse 9, we go into more hearing about who we are in Christ gospel than who we are in Jesus because of the gospel. Hear it. Who we are in Christ because of the gospel, because of what Christ did. 
Verse 9, but you are not like that. Now again, those are kind of staggering words in light of the circumstances. Because they are like that. Why? Because these foreigners are forgetting who they are. You guys just aren't hearing me. I'm trying, I'm trying. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. Today, folks, we are a chosen people. A royal priest. A holy nation. Listen to this. God's very own possession. Come on, have you ever just considered yourself as God's very own possession? I mean, the uncreated God, the maker of heaven and earth, has now claimed you as his own possession. That should revolutionize our lives. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you, what, out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as people. Do you understand that? We once had no identity as people until Christ came and made those things right. Once you received no mercy. Could you imagine life with no mercy? (laughs) That's scary. Now you have received God's mercy in light of the gospel. In light of what Christ has done. Then we go to our foundational text. Verse 11. Dear friends, I warn you. Let that sink in. Just let it sink into your heads and your hearts today. I warn you, dear friends, I warn you. I urge, I sternly warn you to consider, to live as temporary residents, as foreigners. Now again, I know he's addressing foreigners, but the second half takes it, of verse 11 takes it out of that kind of where they are personally right now as foreigners in Rome. And it puts it into more of a spiritual context. Why? Because he concludes verse 11 with this, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Are you hearing me? Paul takes, excuse me, Peter takes what is happening with these foreigners Foreigners turns it around and puts a spiritual application, if you would. Just as you are foreigners in Rome right now, you are being a chosen people, being God's very own possession. You are foreigners into this world. You must consider yourself, live in a manner that exemplifies that. My charge to us today, my reminder that I want to give us is, what and who are we living for? Come on. These are things we should ask ourselves. These are things we should preach on Sundays as we gather as a people. Where are we? Are we living as strangers in this land? You know, I'm not just taking, like, let's just go all hide out in some kind of missions base and never, you know, you know, evangelize or never reach out to the culture and society. This is more what takes place in our own personal vocation. When we leave the, the doors of the church, when we leave the prayer meetings, what would they say of us? What do they say of you? 
Is it still all right to warn people in the church? I believe that if Paul was here today, he would preach this very message to remind us that we are strangers. Hear me. He would preach. Peter would preach and he would say, you are strangers in this land and you are to live in this manner. And I love that he just doesn't drop a hammer. But he reminds us, see, it's not just enough to just crush. You have to remind people of who they are. And that's what's, you understand, he is trying to remind them. No! No! I hear what's going on. No! You are a holy nation. You are God's very people. His own possession. Come on! If we really understood that, we would live so much differently. We would. I would. You would. Is it still okay to warn the church? The church is more and more looking like the world. Making concessions rather than standing for the truth. One of you guys agree. A casual approach will result in casualties. Lou Engel used to tell us that in charging our group to be radically devoted to obeying God, he said, listen, a casual approach to your walk with the Lord will result in casualties. And the world, the church's problem is not that she's not evangelizing enough. The church's problem is not that she's not praying. I've never heard or seen such a time that prayer has been everywhere. Do I think it has to happen more and into more spaces? Yes. But we have IHOP, J-HOP, B-HOP, A-HOP. We have hops scattered all throughout America. People are praying, thank God. But I, I think that the real testament is when believers reflect the very one that they're following. Following, excuse me. That when it comes to a choice to kind of using, uh, you know, just that fine line of language, you know. <laughs> you know, or that, that movie that your friends want you to go see, but you're like, no, you know, I just can't. Am, am I getting too preschool? Is this too, too much? Listen, I want us to remind us, Hilltop, of who we are because of what Christ has done. So in light of that, this is what Peter's saying. In light of what Christ has done through the, the message that you were preached, through the message that brought you to Jesus, essentially. In the light of that, do away with evil behavior. Do away with questionable things. Come on, I'm at the place where I want to kind of just do away with that which is even questionable. Am I too religious? I love it. If, if, if I say that and then attach a swear or a cuss word at the end, would you view me as not being so religious? Some of you, that just went over your head. But it's almost like we have to just walk the fine line, you know, so we don't seem too religious. You know, religion was not how, like, far you went to one side or the other. You know, religion was hypocrisy. Religion is something that we're doing now, friend. Religion is something that happened all throughout America today as thousands and millions gathered in their churches to worship God and hear the word of God. That's religion. You start using these words, you're going to get rid of the very foundation of our faith, calling us religious. Yeah, I'm religious. Yeah. 
I'm proud of it. I'm a religious man. I know. Bill Johnson probably wouldn't like that. But listen, here. No, here. This laughing, this kid. Here it is. Jesus' problem with the Pharisee wasn't because they were religious. Ultimately, their hypocrisy, excuse me, led them to be religious. But the essence of what Jesus was confronting in the Pharisees was hypocrisy. That they were able to teach things, say things, acquire from the people things that they themselves were never going to give. That's what Jesus' beef was with the Pharisees. That could be argued maybe. You can email me. I'll respond. Is everybody all right? I'm not mad. I'm actually very happy. Um, I love my wife. I have a beautiful child. I love what God's doing. I'm really happy. I just like to raise my voice from time to time. You have to say that in Cambridge. (laughs) Is everybody all right? Let's turn to John 17 real quick. John 17. Got to take the cap off to drink the water. Here it is. This is Jesus making a distinction between the two worlds. He himself said that he doesn't belong to this earth and neither do the people that are his, meaning you and me. Let's read in John 17. We're going to read some verses. Is that okay? Okay. After Jesus saying all these things, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come to glorify your son. He came, I'm sorry, so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Verse 5. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you have given me. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it, and now that I, and know, excuse me, that, I've, that I came from you. And they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing. Now this is where I want us to just kind of listen to the words of Jesus. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them from the power 
uh, of your name that you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except for the one heading for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. And the world hates me because they do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice, listen up, for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for the ones you will ever, excuse me, believe in me through this, their message And so John 17, Jesus makes the distinction between what? Two different worlds. A world of which he is now going and a world in which his friends are staying. But don't belong. They're staying, but don't belong. They don't belong there, right? That's the words of Christ. In 17, 13 through 14, Jesus reiterates that he doesn't belong to this world, but adds, nor does his friends the Father would give him, not just his disciples, but anyone who would believe through the message of his disciples, you and me. Essentially, Jesus leaves us here with a task. What? Essentially, do the same thing that Jesus did. As Jesus made the Father known, we're to make Jesus known. We're to remain here. But we don't belong here. Essentially, if you broke down Jesus's uh, concluding verses 13 through 18, you would see that though we are in the world, right? It's that old little evangelism tent revival meeting. Though we are in the world, we are not of the world. And there there really comes, uh, 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 there really needs to come, I I should say, a, a kind of shift in our thinking where that statement becomes a real reality that we are not of the world, although we're in it. And we're not just in it to exist, but we're in it to reveal Christ. I guess my charge to us today is the same charge that Peter gave this group of foreigners. Guys, friends, I warn you to consider yourself as foreigners in this age strangers in this world in light of the context of this chapter we would connect quickly that this meant the culture of the world the system practices of this world given that which was taking place with the foreigners that Peter was writing to one more verse Colossians 3. If I can find it. Colossians chapter 3. And for me, um, Paul says it 
exactly to a T, although some different language, as Peter says it, he says in verse 1, since you have been raised to new life. We've been what? Raised to new life. The gospel with Christ. What? Since we have been raised with Christ, we must now what? Set our sights on the realities of heaven. I used to always hear that and be like, man, that's so like mystic and mysterious. What is that? Realities of heaven. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ, what, sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think again. Here it goes. In our thoughts, think about things of heaven, not things of the earth. Got more people working, worrying about this life, which if you get 80 to 100 years at best, in light of eternity, it's but a vapor. One of you guys hear me. In light of maybe the 80 to 100 years you'll get here on earth. For some of us, it won't even be that long. In light of eternity, this life will be but a vapor. This is what Paul and Peter are saying. Listen, don't get caught up in what is temporary. It's so hard to say in the Western world. Guys, when we leave this place, all that you see... It's temporary. Your college education, your 401k, your your savings account, which may have $2,000 in it at best. Your fake cashmere Target clothes. Don't hate me. They're temporary. Come on, hear me now. I really want this to strike a chord with us this evening. We got too many Christians in front of their televisions. Man, I hope the Patriots win. Man, who's going to win America? Who cares? You know more about the Patriots than you do the Word of God. Come on. I'm really frustrated about this. Think about things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died. What? No, I don't know, Peter, Paul. The church does not look like a dead people. I'm throwing myself into the mix. I'm not saying because I'm bringing the word I'm above or, you know, I've arrived. No. But I'm calling us into question this evening. The church doesn't look dead, friend. We don't look like dead people. And I'm not, looking, I'm not talking about an apathetic, complacent company. I'm talking about a people where the world has no hold. Let me preach in the South, man. People be. <laughs> Cambridge. God. The church doesn't look dead. We don't look like a dead people, friend. We're like a people that like to, you know, kind of just entertain both lives. Like we're just, 
you know, a bunch of closet Christians trying to do this on Sunday, this on Monday. Come on. Well, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? You wonder why there's so much confusion in the church. It has nothing to do with your pastor. It has nothing to do with the leadership team. It has everything to do about what's going on behind closed doors. I said it. It's true. And I can say that because I once was that. And, and it really, the, 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 the thing became just blame it on somebody else. It's somebody else's problem. My pastor, he doesn't shake my hand when I come out of the morning. <laughs> this is truly why I'm struggling with this and that. No! You've got to do away. You've got to be done. Why? Because you are dead, friend. You, are, you and I are dead to the world. Are you happy? Yeah. Tell your face. Because this message brings me joy. Yeah. Amen. It brings me joy. Yes. We're on a process. Don't get me wrong. We are on a process. But don't, don't, don't make that process 40 years when you're like 52 still talking about dying. It's, just, it's not going to be fun, friend. You are your worst enemy. Stop blaming the devil. Stop blaming your pastor. Stop blaming this person and that person. At the end of the day, we are responsible for where we are and who we are. Think about things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life in your real life, your real life today, right now, right this moment, your real life is not what you go home to, not what you have in your bank account, not what you have or don't have. Your real life as a believer today is hidden in Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. <laughs> Christ has welcomed all who believe now to enter into his very life. We simply, as believers, get to adapt and walk in the same manner here on earth as Christ did when he walked. We get to die to this world. And at a certain time, when God, when Christ is revealed in the earth, we will share in God's glory. You see, sometimes we think the glory of this earth is far more vast than the glory of heaven. Friend, let me tell you, there is no comparison. And if we really knew just what that glory is like and what it will be like when we're called. We would live totally different. I Facebooked this. It got like five likes. You ever notice that on Facebook? You can, you, can, you can like put a picture up there with you and your wife and your kid and it's like 174 likes. You put something on there, it just kind of rubs against, you know, the grain a little bit. It gets five. And don't, don't even act like you don't see it. Okay? Because you know you do. All right? Man, I wonder what... Oh, oh, that hurt. I'm not going to like that. I mean, I'm just, I, that's it. 
It's like the videos, you know, you post a video, like a worship service, it gets like three likes, but it's got like 2,000 views. It's so great. It's like, okay, you couldn't have liked that? I mean, no, but it's, it's, just, it's just like, it's so true. 90, if not all of us, are just Facebook stalkers. And it's just easy, it's just easy to put a picture of myself on Facebook than it is to say something confrontational. <laughs> uh, look at that one guy. Why is he always doing selfies? Because it gets the most likes. I know, I, I know, I know. You're not one of them. I know, I know. I'm just, I'm a category of myself. But I, I Facebook this, I'm pretty proud of it. So I was studying. And I just... God spoke this into my spirit as I was looking over this text, and it, it just came out of me. It's, you'll never live fully for God in this world if you haven't learned to die to it first. We got a bunch of Christians walking aimlessly in the earth because uh, uh, they, they've never really fully learned to die to this world. And they think the problem is just everything else of where it is they could be maybe fulfilled over here or fulfilled over there. Maybe if I go away for three months. Maybe if, I'm serious, guys. I mean, I'm a pastor. I see these things. Maybe if we just get away this weekend. I'm all for getting away. I'm all for doing trips. I'm all for going to conferences. I'm all for reading books. I'm all for it. But man, you know, this is one thing that I am totally scared about. It frightens me personally, and it frightens me to see it in believers, because it's in me. It's in me. We have this awesome two days with Lou. Our community is charged. Woo! We are going to fast. I don't know. It, it, listen, if you're excited about fasting, there's something wrong with you. No, I'm just joking. I, I, don't wanna, I hate fasting. I'm going to do it, but I don't like it. But anyways, we're charged. Lou's just, you know, I mean, that guy could awake a dead man. You know, just with the, the raspiness of his voice and the spirit of excellence that are on him. God, just something like tremors inside of you. You're like, oh, my God. Anyways, we're charged, right? This place is electric. But what's going to happen in two weeks? What's going to happen this week? When you want to eat. This just sounds so dumb. But it's true. What happens when those kind of moments are oh, gone? I don't want to just be caught up in the moment, friend. And we got more Christians just like, oh, God, it's so good. That was so awesome. And then two days later, it's like, oh, my God, the sister's going to commit suicide. No, I'm not saying she's going to commit suicide. But she's drastic. It's just like from one end of the pendulum to the other. So quick. What's going to happen in two weeks, friend? We want lasting change. We want... We want the attitude that Peter exhorts us to have to get rid of things. Just do it. Come on. Where are those Christians today? It's just gonna get, God's just a big flip. He's just flipping the switch. He'll make me do it. I don't know. I'll just I'll get one in one of those times, maybe a good worship service. Maybe I'll read a good book. Maybe I'll go to a good conference. Maybe I'll go away for a good vacation. And it works so temporary, has no lasting change. But where are those people who just say, I'm going to do this. I want to be one of those people. Call me religious. I don't know. But I want to be one of those people that when God touches my life, I adhere to it. It brings lasting change. Not anything can steal it. Come on. Not anything can rob it. 
It doesn't matter if Lou's here or if he's gone or if he comes back or if he doesn't. I am going to hold on to what God has done in me. I am charismatic. And I don't care. Cambridge needs more charismatics. You say, I don't like you yelling. Well, I don't like falling asleep in your services. Well, I don't like that loud music. I don't like loud music either, but I, I really, I can only take so much of the harp and piano. And we could go, we could, I got the mic. It's a one-sided conversation, friend. No, I'm just, just joking. Cambridge needs radical, I hate that word, but radical Christianity. It's good. Feels good. It's kind of been demonized, so, but it's good. I mean, it's like just good. Oh, radical. Good, so ugly. What does that mean? Pharisee. Listen, if being radical looks like a Pharisee, then sign me up. If being radically obedient to Christ looks religious, then count me the chief amongst all religious people. That's what I want. I got into this little text fight with a friend of mine, and I, you know, he's told me, hey, listen, speak into my life, brother. Speak into it. I'm like, okay. That's an invitation. I'll take it. And you know, you just speak in there, and the first thing to come back with, oh, man, that's just religious. Really? Is that where we're going with this? It's just religious? Oh, you guys talk too much about holiness. Have you read the Word of God lately? <laughs> Have you read the New Testament? Okay, for, okay, you want to do away with the old? Okay, I get it. Which is foolish, but if you want to do it, that's great. But, but, but did you, have you looked at the New Testament? Honestly, I, I think Christians who have those kind of sentiments are just people who want to stay dumb because ignorance is bliss. And if they really read it and get it and perceive it, oh, now they have to do something about it. That's what Peter says. You're accountable for what you know. That means if you get revelation in this book and you know something that you didn't know prior to, you are accountable for your knowledge. Oh, we just put it on God. No, you have a responsibility. You and I, we have a responsibility in this relationship. Thank God we do. Thank God we do. Okay. Is everybody all right? I'm having too much fun. I'm going to turn to one more verse, and then I will conclude this time. Um, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians real, real quick. Because I think this uh, summarizes the heart.